Welcome to the Gut Podcast on the paper, Long-Term Dietary Patterns Are Associated with Pro-Inflammatory and Anti-Inflammatory Features of the Gut Microbiome, published in paper copy in Gut in July 2021. My name is Dr. Philip Smith, I'm the Digital and Education Editor of Gut, and a consultant gastroenterologist at the Royal Liverpool Hospital, Liverpool United Kingdom, and I extend a very warm welcome to Laura Bolt, who's a dietitian and PhD student from the Department of Gastroenterology and Hepatology, and also the Department of Genetics at the University of Grinning and University Medical Center Grinning in the Netherlands, and Professor Rins Verma from the Department of Gastroenterology and Hepatology, along with Laura. Laura and Professor are the first and senior authors on this excellent paper, respectively. Thank you both for joining me today to this podcast. And firstly, once again, congratulations on this excellent paper. Could I ask you to explain the background to your study and why research in this area is so important? And maybe, Professor, you could start with that. Yeah, uh, thanks, Phil, uh, for uh, inviting us for this podcast. Much appreciated. We're honored to do this. So, yeah, let's start with the basic, of course, is that people, and specifically in the gastroenterology field and in are getting more and more interested in the role of the gut microbiome in health and disease. And one of the reasons that we are so interested in this, of course, is that it also is um, modifiable, right? So, so that we, we can change the gut microbiome and that can be done by rather, let's say, drastical things like fecal microbial transplantation or more selective introducing of consortia of bacteria or probiotics. But I mean, the most important way for changing or modifying the gut microbiome is, of course, uh, dietary uh, interventions or changes in, in dietary patterns. So in Groningen, we, we, we are doing a lot of gut microbiome research in the last uh, year. So we have a Groningen microbiome center and we take a very, let's say, highly standardized, uh, protocolized approach. We do a lot of population-based but also disease-oriented studies and, um, and, and, and increasingly also interventional and longitudinal analysis. And what we do is we take a very standardized uh, way of looking at it. So we, we have all, let's say, fecal samples are being frozen at people's homes by the patients themselves. And then we have students driving around, picking them up on dry ice, so making sure that the quality of the stool samples is optimal. And we have standardized DNA extraction, standardized computational pipelines. And up till now, we have almost, we have sequenced around um, 14,000 uh, fecal samples. And, and the good thing is that, let's say, the technical side is very standardized, but we also have all the let's say phenotypical data, all standardized across all disease and population-based cohorts, including also the dietary data. And in this specific study, we, we focused on the samples and patients that were part of our 1,000 IBD study. So that's the IBD part. And uh, the Lifelines Deep, which is a population-based study. And we also had a, a, a used a cohort with uh, irritable bowel syndrome. So we had the metagenomic sequencing, so the microbiome data, and we had food uh, or, or dietary data derived from what were the food frequency questionnaires. And the food frequency questionnaires are, let's say, questionnaires that are validated for the, for the Dutch uh, situation, and they constitute about 160 food items. And 
Laura and Arnovik Vila, who are the first authors of the paper, they, what they did was not so much looking at each of these items individually, but try to focus on patterns of diet because people are, are, are let's say, not eating single items, but are, are eating let's say, specific dietary uh, patterns. And what they also did differently was that they, let's say, took an, what we call an unsupervised approach. So we did not predefine the different uh, dietary clusters, but um, let, let's say the algorithms or let's say the, the algorithms that we use, look at the data and then define different dietary patterns based on dietary products that are being consumed simultaneously by individuals. And then they could identify about 25 different dietary clusters. And not unsurprisingly, these clusters are clusters that we know, like right? there's people that eat a lot of, let's say, uh, fast food, there's people that adhere to a Mediterranean diet, but uh, it's, it's quite consistent uh, within the data. And then we wanted to know whether these dietary patterns, which are regarded as long-term dietary patterns, are associated with specific groups of bacteria or specific functions of groups of bacteria and tease out, let's say, the associations between these dietary patterns and the inflammatory or anti-inflammatory properties of the gut microbiome. Um, and, and, and the idea behind this is we need to understand these relationships better to also, let's say, in the future, know how to intervene and how to adjust dietary patterns to optimize a gut microbiome. Thank you, Professor. That's a, a, a very helpful background to your study and um, really impressive setup that you've clearly got in the Netherlands. So what are the new uh, findings your study has found? And Laura, if, uh, if you could answer that. Yes. So um, these dietary patterns that we identified, they were um, in part characterized by a lot of legumes, vegetables, so a lot of plant-derived foods, um, breads, nuts and fish. So all foods that are common features of a typical Mediterranean diet. And we saw that those are linked to a higher relative amount of friendly microbiota and their functions. So with friendly, I mean um, that they have a lot of beneficial functions for us. For example, they aid in the digestion of plant-derived foods. They produce anti-inflammatory substances, um, for example, these so-called short-chain fatty acids. And they also protect the mucosal lining of the intestine. So it is also known that these bacteria have a role in IBD and many other diseases. And um, those friendly bacteria are generally depleted in these diseases. So the question is, by sticking to a high intake of plant-derived foods and foods that are rich in um, omega-3 fatty acids, such as fish and nuts, um, can we boost these bacteria while keeping um, the potentially harmful species at pace? And that's what we found in this study. Um, we saw that um, eating plenty of these foods was linked to a lower proportion of disease-associated bacteria and their activities, such as um, the production of pro-inflammatory mediators. And then in the final step of our analysis, we also measured um, lower fecal calprotectin levels in participants that consumed a lot of these foods, so a lot of legumes, bread, fish, and nuts, which then supports the anti-inflammatory role of these um, dietary patterns even more. And on the other hand, what's maybe not surprising is that a higher intake of fast food and animal-derived foods and soft drinks, processed foods and alcohol corresponded to gut microbiota and um, their activities that are actually quite characteristic for intestinal inflammation. So eating a lot of these foods was also linked to higher levels of fecal carbohydrate. 
And then what is even more interesting is that we didn't only see this in IBD, but also consistently across all the four groups that we studied. Um, we also studied patients with IBS, so irritable bowel syndrome, and uh, healthy controls. And we saw these associations between the diet and the gut bacteria consistently across these four groups. So this could mean that when we are trying to find dietary recommendations, we can perhaps even extend it to more diseases. And also this has implications for the general population for disease prevention. Thank you. That's very impressive results and clearly very important results. So you briefly just about starting to touch on it, but how might this impact on clinical practice in the foreseeable future? So first of all, um, our study supports that the gut microbiome is a link between diet and disease development, such as development of IBD. So what we could foresee is that dietary treatment strategies that are targeted towards specific groups of bacteria with anti-inflammatory functions, um, they could play a role in disease prevention and treatment. And a diet enriched in uh, vegetables, legumes, grains, nuts and fish and a relatively higher intake of plant over animal foods uh, certainly has a potential to modulate the gut bacteria in this direction. Um, and there's also more and more evidence coming also from functional studies, uh, studies in mice and epidemiological studies to integrate such dietary advice in the practice and to also inform action in um, food industries. Because for example, uh, the Western diet and food industrialization um, are seen to parallel the rising incidence of IBD in countries that we previously thought have a low incidence of IBD. And functional studies, they show also that additives that are um, included during food processing, for example, artificial sweeteners, are um, already associated with pro-inflammatory changes in the gut microbiome. So this is in line with what we find, but proven on the functional level already. And I think that all this evidence together already adds to the importance of diet. And I think it's very important that we promote healthier dietary habits as clinicians and also continue the investigation of diet and the gut microbiome. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Laura, on that. Um, so how might the study impact on research priorities in the foreseeable future then? So um, in the study, as um, Professor Wersma just told you, we looked at dietary patterns. So not only specific nutrients that are often tested in the form of supplements, but really the whole diet in relation to the whole gut microbial system. And um, we see such a consistent link of whole foods and the gut microbiome that uh, one could think, why not try food-based strategies in interventional trials instead of just one nutrient? Because perhaps there are um, synergies or interactions between different foods that we need. And um, maybe the effect on the gut microbiome is even greater as opposed to using just one nutrient. So one could foresee um, yeah, trials of testing whole diets, formulated diets based on what is good for the gut microbiome. For example, the combination of fish nuts, which are sources of omega-3 fatty acids, um, polyphenols from fruit, fiber, plant protein, so that you can actually potentiate the abundance of these good bacteria even more. And um, yeah, so far there have been many studies focusing on uh, supplements or specific nutrients, but they, those showed limited efficacy in IBD, for example. And Professor, did you want to add any comments about potential research priorities in the future? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, um, yes. Yeah, so, to to add on that, I mean, diet, specifically in the setting of inflammatory bowel disease, is gaining a lot of traction in uh, recent years again, uh, which is a good thing. 
And we, from the clinicians, we all know that, let's say, in uh, an exclusive enteral nutrition uh, on the pediatric, for pediatric patients works. And there's recent data on the, let's say, the exclusion diets, uh, which shows favorable results. So based on what Laura and, and, and we found and what she just mentioned is that in Groningen, we are, I mean, to prove that, let's say, the, the data and the hypothesis that we generated with, with this paper and, of course, others also in, in many, many other papers, we plan to do an interventional uh, trial. And that is called the GRADE study. So that is the Groningen Anti-Inflammatory Diet Study. And that starts in about uh, two months. We hope to start uh, including uh, the first patients. And again, that is focused on, um, let's say it's a randomized study where people are uh, in the treatment arm, they will be receiving uh, guidance from dietitians. They will be receiving uh, lists with dietary recommendations. But the most important part is that they will also receive uh, food boxes. So they will get food boxes directly from supermarkets so that we can actually control their diet for a period of three months. And then, uh, of course, we're going to uh, study also the gut microbiome and actually see whether, let's say, implementing this anti-inflammatory diet, which is, well, uh, as, as Laura just pointed out, focused on promoting, let's say, the beneficial bacteria and trying to deplete the, the more, uh, let's say, pathogenic uh, bacteria, and whether this intervention actually uh, works. Because, I mean, that, that would be the proof, of course, that uh, we can actually change the gut microbiome in such a way that, that it is exerts anti-inflammatory properties uh, that's, um, in, in the setting of inflammatory bowel disease. So, and yeah, so that, that study will start in, in about two months and uh, we hope to report on that. Well, it's gonna take a while, but uh, we hope to report on that uh, in the later stage. It sounds very exciting and certainly a study to keep an eye out for in the future. Well, um, thank you very much, both of you, uh, for doing the podcast today. Uh, it's been really interesting listening to you and congratulations again on your fantastic paper being published in gut for our listeners if you want to read the paper there is a link underneath this podcast to the paper to read i strongly advise you to do that it's a great paper and uh, thank you for joining us today and do join us in the future for future gut podcasts thank you